0: Welcome to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm Megan Martin.
1: And I'm Ian Dory. I'm Brian Arnold. And I'm Noah Kaufman, the Ninja Doc. Thanks for joining our weekly conversation about health, fitness, and all things Ninja Warrior.
0: We will be interviewing all of the top American Ninja Warrior stars, and we encourage you to visit our website, www.wolfpackninjas.com. And kids, you can get your free Wolfpack Ninja Cub certificate there. If
1: you like our podcast, please share, subscribe, and like on iTunes. Also, give us a follow on our social media. We're always posting new content, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Together, we can make the world a healthier and happier place. So join us.
1: (laughs) Follow us across the social medias at Wolfpack Ninjas. Welcome back to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Kaufman, the Ninja Doc, along with... Ian Dory, what's up? Guys, it's so good to be back here. Today is a very educational show. I'm excited. Ian, we have Dr. Glenn Livingston. This guy is
0: just a wealth of information. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to learn something about nutrition and, and helping to raise your kids and instilling good values, this guy has lived through it. it he's, he's an inspiration. I can't wait for you all to, to listen to him and hear what he has to say. What's his podcast called? It's Never Binge Again, and he's got a book, Never Binge Again, as well, that you can read, and, and that just goes into more depth about all the things that we talk about in the interview. There's just so much. You might want to bring a piece of paper and a pen to, to take some notes.
1: Now, Ian, I have binged. I have, like, gotten the tub of, like, you know, Ben & Jerry's or the donuts or something. And, and and ninjas, we call it cheat days, and we do binge. But the thing is we keep it like at a very minimum and it's it's only as like a very rare treat. The problem is is when you binge like day 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 yes. in and day out yes. and that's when it becomes a huge problem. He's got a lot of insight. I I'm excited to hear this interview. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, he's he's a wealth of information and you know, he had his own issues that he had to work through and he has a lot of positive and, and helpful helpful information to you know it, apply it to your own life and and start to make some real changes and the things and the mantras that he used himself to change his life for the better it's it's really inspirational and it's, and it's great that he's
1: willing and open to talk about how he overcame those challenges and he worked like for and with the food industry so he's got all this insight into how you are being duped into eating fats and sugars and binging and and just making more money for these mega corporations.
0: Yeah, we're we're totally against this massive, like, billion-dollar organization that's –
1: it's frightening to me that that's what we have to compete with as individuals. We can't compete. I mean, you have control over your own destiny. But guess what? They're doing research – on how to invade your mind psychologically to create the advertising and the things to get you to just hunger for that soda pop and the fast food and and all this stuff that is so bad for you. And it's incredible when he pulls back the curtain. You guys got to hear this interview. He's a he's a really smart guy. You got to follow his yeah. podcast Never Binge Again. This is like a no-brainer. Go and subscribe to his podcast immediately. Like I'm talking right now and download and listen to all his podcasts. It'll take a while, but you will be a better, smarter, more educated consumer because of it. Oh, I just wait till you listen to how he talks about
0: literally rocket scientists and how they're being paid to change the food around and make it into sugar cardboard it's
1: crazy oh my god it's not good it's (laughs) but it's good to know you need to know this stuff well you got to check out our show notes go to wolfpack ninjas.com where you can make your very own ninja profile you can follow us and more importantly you can see show notes about dr glenn livingston what he's been up to uh, how you can get his book how you can listen to his podcast Amazing guy, a huge value add to our show. And, of course, we just did a podcast with him. So listen to his show. And Ian and I were interviewed all about Wolfpack uh, on his show. And so that's pretty exciting because they've got like 500,000 listeners of their own or, or whatever and followers. And so we want to thank uh, Dr. Doctor Glenn Livingston for having us on his show. Please go check out that episode. Like and subscribe them uh, to another podcaster, from one podcaster to another, Doctor Livingston, you the man.
0: Yeah, you're the man. You're 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 on the front lines, just like us. So we appreciate your your efforts. And there's not much more to say. I just want to get into it and let him tell his story and inspire us. Here we go.
1: Never binge again, Doctor Glenn Livingston.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm your host Ian Dory. Today, we have fantastic guests with us, Dr. Glenn Livingston. Welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you so very much. I'm happy to be here, and please call me Glenn. All right. You got it, Glenn.
0: Uh, Well, Glenn, I think that that you and and the Wolfpack's uh, mission for changing the world and making people healthy is, you know, we're very in line. So uh, why don't you tell our guests a little bit about who you are
2: and uh, what you're doing? Okay. Well, I guess the short story is that I'm a psychologist with a very popular book on how to overcome overeating. Um, On on the diet of your choice, reprogram yourself to think like a permanently thin person on the diet of your choice. The book's name is Never Binge Again. And the longer story is that I'm not just a doctor who chose to work with overeaters. I I had a very serious problem myself. I, I grew up in a family of psychologists. There are Seventeen therapists and social workers and counselors and psychologists in my family, and the running joke is that if something broke in the house, everybody knew how to ask it how it felt how it felt, but nobody knew how to fix it <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, that was my life growing up but when i that come becomes important later, but when when I was seventeen, I discovered that if I worked out for two and a half or three hours a day, that I could eat just anything that I want to and I could stay thin. And I'm talking about, you know, multiple pizzas, boxes of muffins, boxes of donuts, multiple chocolate bars, lattes, whatever I wanted to eat, I could eat it and I would stay thin because I'm I'm 6'4 and I'm reasonably muscular. And so when I was that active and that young, I could do that. And I didn't think it was a problem. I thought it was more like a really cool trick that I had and I really enjoyed life in that in that van. But when I got older, 22, 23 years old, and I was in graduate school and I was married and I was commuting two hours each way and I had patience and all these responsibilities, I couldn't work I couldn't find the time to work out two hours a week, much less two hours a day. Right, and right and my metabolism was slowing down and I I just started to get fatter because I couldn't stop eating. I just, I had developed the obsession. A lot of these foods have a life of their own once you start with them. And I couldn't stop thinking about food. I would be sitting with suicidal patients and you really have to be 100% present to work with suicidal people. And thank God I never lost anybody. But I wasn't 100% there. I, I was thinking about when can I get to the deli when can I go get another pizza? When's my next chocolate bar coming? And that, that bothered me even more so than not being able to be present in my marriage or present for other areas of life, because being a psychologist was first and foremost most important to me. I, I, I really wanted to make a difference in the world. And I went looking for psychological answers to the problem. I went on the theory, on the theory, because I was a psychologist, and sometimes if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. That it wasn't what I was eating; it was what was eating me. There was some type of a hole in my heart, and I had to go and fix that. And that's probably why I was overeating. And I went to the best psychologists and psychiatrists and went over it anonymous and I took medication and I I you know had session after session I saw some of the best eating disorder specialists because I grew up in and around New York City in, in a family which had all these connections with really good doctors and so I knew how to how to find them and I learned an awful lot about myself during the course of doing that I I, I think I became a more soulful person I don't regret meeting with these people. They taught me a lot about myself. And I've heard a couple of tricks about food along the way. But it really didn't solve the problem, and I just kept gaining weight. Periodically, I'd lose it for a little bit. Like an overreaches is anonymous, I'd lose it for a little bit. But then it would get worse when I made a mistake. And then I'd gain all the weight back and more. And because I had a dual career, at the time I was a child and family psychologist. I was not not an eating disorders psychologist therapist because I felt like I had too serious a problem myself so I would mostly refer those people out. I also was consulting for large companies including a lot of large food companies like well, I probably shouldn't say but a lot, a lot of large fortune 500. <laughs> okay. food food well because I, I, I'm i a little bit like the Marlboro man you know like in, in his early years he helped sell cigarettes and he felt exceptionally guilty about it and he did commercials to tell people to stay away um, right. Yep. Yeah. That's a little bit how I feel about a lot of the work that I did helping large food companies to sell all these concentrations of hyperpalatable salt and sugar and fat and oil and starch and package it all up in, you know, in in colors and you know, shapes that make it look appealing in the way things in nature would be appealing, but those nutrients aren't really in there and then the advertising companies to make us believe that we can't live without them it's it's just it's creating a perfect storm in our society and i'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little bit but but basically i decided that since they were paying me a fortune to do these large studies and they did seem to work i said i'm going to do one for myself i'm going to figure out what it is that's behind any particular food that somebody can't seem to stop eating so I, in the days that the internet clicks were really cheap, you know, for a penny or two you could get people to come to your site, I, I got 40,000 people over the course of several years to take a survey. And the survey was all about the different foods that they struggled with and various personality factors and life satisfaction factors. And I looked for relationships. And the three major things that I found were that People who struggled with chocolate, and all my binges used to start with chocolate. I might, I might have pizza and lattes and everything afterwards, but used to always start with chocolate. We tended to be lonely or brokenhearted. People who struggled with salty, crunchy things tended to be really stressed at work, and people who struggled with soft, chewy things tend to be stressed at home. And having found that, I decided that I was going to investigate a lot further starting with my own problem and because my mother was a therapist also I had the benefit of going to her and I said hey mom you know I I I'm not in a really happy marriage I'm divorced now by the way but I'm not in a happy marriage and I'm you know I'm lonely and broken hearted so of course that makes sense but is there anything in my upbringing that really would have set up this pattern of running to chocolate when I feel lonely or brokenhearted or depressed or something and She got this horrible look on her face and she said honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so ashamed, but you know when you were an infant or about one year old My father had just got out of prison and I was absolutely devastated I looked up to him my whole life and He was actually guilty. He was doing these things and I had no idea And I was horribly depressed. At the same time, your father, my husband, he was a captain in the army and they were threatening to send him to Vietnam. And I was terrified. And I was just overwhelmed and depressed myself. And I didn't have the wherewithal to hold you all the time when you came running to me crying. And so I got a refrigerator and I put it on the floor. And I got a big bottle of Bosco chocolate syrup, and I kept it in the refrigerator on the floor. And I'd say, honey, go get your Bosco. And you'd get a big smile on your face, and you'd go running over to the bottle of chocolate syrup. Oh, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, would, I would suck on the bottle and go into a sugar coma. And Ian, if, if this were the movies, at that point, Mom and I would have a big hug and we'd have a big cry and we'd forgive each other and then I'd never have trouble with chocolate again (laughs) right right well we we did have a hug and a little cry and I do I do feel more compassionate towards myself and all the problems I had knowing that story so it was it was a worthwhile conversation to have but it actually made the binge eating worse and here's why because I found that I have a little voice in my head and just about everybody who binge eats has a little voice in their head. It's a voice of rationalization that makes it okay to eat because of the emotions. And my voice went something like this. Hey, Glenn, you know what? You're right. Your mama didn't love you enough and she left a big chocolate sized hole in your heart. And until you can find the love of your life, you just have to go right on binging. Yippee. And let's go, let's go get some right now. Let's go go get some more chocolate. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. The justification, right? And and then when I started to talk to patients about it, I found that they had similar things. And I went looking for an alternative model. Right about the time I was also coming out of Overeaters Anonymous, I was reading a lot of the alternative addiction treatment literature. And I came across Rational Recovery by Jack Trimpe. And he, he works a lot more with drugs and alcohol. And those are things that you can give up entirely. So there were tremendous modifications I had to make to make it work for me. But the concept that really shifted my paradigm and changed things into something that worked for me was that you can't love yourself then. You can't love yourself out of an addiction because the seed of the addiction is the lizard brain. It's the, it's the most primitive part of our neurology. And the lizard brain doesn't know love. When the lizard brain looks at something in the environment, it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. There's no love there. There's no concern for family or tribe or civilization. There's, no, there's certainly no spirituality or long-term goals or aspirations or music or you know cooperation with a team. It's, it's very, very, very um, primitive, narcissistic and uh, almost sociopathic it, it wants what it wants and that's it eat mate or kill do we eat it mate or mate with it or kill it well at the same time i was reading about some of the mammalian studies on short-circuiting the pleasure center because if you look at what was happening in the big companies that's really what they're doing they're short-circuiting our pleasure centers and there are some studies where they physically short-circuited the mammal's pleasure centers by putting an electrode in the animal's brains to stimulate the, you know, the center where the dopamine is, or I forget exactly where it is, but it, it's, um, and what would happen is they'd, they'd wire that lever to, they wire that electrode to a lever that the animals could push. And they find that the animals would push those levers thousands of times per day to the exclusion of their survival needs. So a starving rat who is literally in danger of starving to death would ignore its food in order to press that lever thousands of times per day. A nursing mother rat would ignore its pups in order to press that lever thousands of times per day. Rats would... Yeah. They would crawl over painful electrical grids to press the lever thousands of times per day. And so the result of short-circuiting the pleasure center in mammals, is severe self-neglect. Now, let's go back to what's happening in the big companies. I don't think it's a far cry. They're not putting electrodes in our brain, but are they? I I mean, when you look at the billions of dollars of research that goes into creating these food-like substances, which are very highly concentrated sources of pleasure that evolution has not prepared us for. There were no chocolate bars in the savannah. There was no pizza in the tropics. We didn't have pasta or refined sugar or bagels or any of this or you know Doritos or Pop-Tarts or any of that as we were evolving. It's only the last 100 years or so that this is even remotely available on a widespread basis. And what that really does is it delivers a jolt of you know dopamine and serotonin, and, and a neurologist could explain it a little better. But it's not unlike what that – electrode wired into the animal's brain does and the result is that you've got people out there who say well I don't like fruit and vegetables right like I I I'm going to keep looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or, c- or a container because that's what I'm conditioned to do yes. and it's it's frightening it's, it's frightening
0: it's like they're reprogramming people and the younger the kids and the the newer generations like they're exposed to this you know right out of the get go and God, it's just frightening that that that's that's happening. And I'm, I'm glad we're talking because parents, if you're listening, you need to be paying attention to what you what you're putting into your body, but also what you're putting into your families and your kids' bodies. It's I'm I'm a little bit in shock. I mean, I kind of know that this stuff is happening, but it's great to get you on here and to talk to talk about this. It's I'm kind of flabbergasted.
2: Yeah. Well, Ian, you know, I read a study the other day that said that there are approximately 7,000 messages a year, I think 5,000 to 7,000 messages a year about food that children are exposed to. And no more than a dozen or two of them are about whole fruits and vegetables. And so if you think about the level of programming and the percent of stimuli that are going into our children's brains to make them think that, you know, this is where the reward is. This this is what you want. This is what you need. Um, you know, I, I talked to the VP of a major food bar manufacturer, and he told me that the real profit for them came when they had the insight that they could take the vitamins out of the bar because they were making them taste worse, and they could put that money into creating more appealing packaging instead. And I said, so you're telling me basically your profitable insight was to fool people into thinking it was nutritious because when you have... A diversity of colors and vibrancy on the label, you're signaling the brain in a way it was programmed by evolution to believe that a diversity of nutrients are available. If you if you eat a salad with beets and carrots and green lettuce and you know blueberries, a variety of different colors, there's there's a variety of nutrients that are available. There's a reason that we're attracted to that type of diversity of color. But he was telling me that. They were really faking us out, and that's where the profit came from. And that's perfectly legal to do. That's perfectly legal to do. So it's it's frightening, but there are some solutions, and I can tell you how I work this. There's actually a very practical solution, and you know that's kind of why I that's why my book exists, and that's why I, I do what I do these days, and that's why I was able to you know, lose 50 pounds and get my triglycerides down from 1,100 to 100 and roughly.
0: Yeah. And, yeah yeah I mean I guess that's that's my question is we have you know this big money, these big corporations that are targeting everyone because people like this stuff and they're they're after money but what can we do as you know as individual people and you know I'm a dad and everyone in the wolf pack you know is is for changing the world and we're on your side but what you know what can what can the average mom do when you know go shopping like what's what's their you know, we need some tools
2: yeah well the way that I recovered is very primitive and I want to tell you it's somewhat embarrassing as a sophisticated psychologist to be up here talking about what I actually did but after 30 years of suffering what actually worked for me was I decided that I had to draw lines in the sand I decided that The idea of having rough guidelines was not working, and it wasn't consistent with the research on willpower either. I can tell you why in a little bit. So I would have to draw lines in the sand, and I would say something like, I will never eat chocolate Monday to Friday again. I'll only ever have chocolate on the weekend. So then I had a very clear line about what healthy behavior was and what it wasn't for me. With that clear line in place, I could hear that little voice in my head that would say, Hey, Glenn, you could start tomorrow. you got enough exercise today. This isn't really going to hurt. Or, um, hey, Glenn, you know, chocolate comes from a cocoa bean, and that grows in a plant, so chocolate's really a vegetable. Or all, all types of... <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all kinds of, well, there's that, that voice will do anything to justify it. Yeah, of course. Because it's a survival drive that's been hijacked, so it'll work really hard to justify it. I decided that that voice was pig squeal, and then it was coming from my inner pig, which was my lizard brain. Now I'm not talking about real pigs. I, I happen to be a vegan, and I think real pigs need our help in the world. They're very sweet animals, and we're torturing them. But I'm, I'm talking about a concept, and I happen to call it my pig. You don't have to call it your pig. You can call it your lizard. You can call it your inner junkyard dog, or your food demon, or your food monster, whatever you want to call it. I happen to call it my pig, and I said, "Well." And when I would have the craving, when I'd be at line at Starbucks and I'd hear that chocolate is a vegetable squeal, I'd say, I don't want that my pig does. That's just pig squeal, and I don't listen to farm animals tell me what to do. And I certainly don't need it out of a pig's trough. And as crazy as that sounds, as primitive as it is, as ridiculous as it sounds for someone like me to focus on that kind of a solution, that's what started to wake me up and give me those extra microseconds that I needed at the moment of impulse to remember who I was, what was important to me, and start to make the right decisions. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. No, that's that's
0: really interesting. I feel like it's like a little personal mantra that you came up with to, to help you overcome those moments of impulse, like you were saying. I, I like that. I think that we've talked about. On, on the show, coming up with something like that, you know, when you get nervous or you, you get these nerves before you do something to help calm and focus your mind, I think it's very similar to to what you,
2: what you just said. I think you know, if
0: the listeners are struggling it's, with something like that,
2: then that's great advice. It, it, it's the opposite of loving yourself. Then I mean, I, I want people to love themselves, but this this thing inside you that keeps talking you out of it it's it's more like a bodily organ than a part of your personality. I mean it's a part of you but it's no more a part of you than your bladder is or that that your ovaries are and it generates very powerful urges your bladder will tell you that you have to pee but as a responsible member of society you know there are only times and places and ways to discharge of that that urge and it's very similar you'll you'll have these very strong urges generated by your body by your lizard brain but you don't have to act on the very specific way that it wants to be discharged in that particular moment in time. You, um, What you want to do is start asking yourself, what's the authentic biological need that has been hijacked by industry, right? Like, we wouldn't have to do any of this if we were living in in evolutionary times, if we were just, you know, running around the tropics and picking fruit and, you know, Eating leaf, tender leafy greens we, we wouldn't have or some people depending on your belief you might be you know hunting wild game
0: right right we, we,
2: we wouldn't have to be we wouldn't have to have anything like this but it's because it's because of the industrial profiteers that you know they're they're, they're definitely supported by consumers so we're not all innocent Of course. but but it's because of that that we have to deal with that What you you need to ask yourself is, where would my survival drive have been directed if this uh, profitable substance didn't exist? If there was no chocolate, what is that urge really for? And at these moments, you have to tell yourselves that feelings aren't facts. Every bone in your body is going to say, hand over the chocolate and nobody gets hurt. But if you can back up and say, okay, well, I don't eat chocolate Monday to Friday. And so what else am I going to do? That authentic need might be served by having a big banana smoothie or a little bit of kale juice or, 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 you know, some, you know, a couple of apples or, or, or something like that, that you would have naturally derived energy from in, in our past. And if you can redirect your survival drive back where it belongs. It's, it's almost like a smoker who's trying to quit, taking deep breaths of very cool, fresh air. You're, you're reminding your survival drive what's really necessary, what it really needs to, to survive, and you're retraining things. Over time, this will not happen in the beginning. It takes a few months. But over time, your survival drive will adjust and you will crave the banana smoothie more so than you crave the chocolate. You don't have to believe me. You just have to try it. Every time you give in and you have the chocolate, however, you're resetting those pathways and you're kind of resetting the timeline to get to the point that it feels natural to eat the um, banana smoothie instead of the chocolate bar. But you don't have to be tortured forever. Similarly, there's a phenomenon called downregulation. If you eat a chocolate bar every day, your pleasure systems are going to downregulate and respond less intensely to the natural sugars and fruits and vegetables and, and like whole, fresh, ripe raw, natural foods. It's it's like living underneath the subway, which I actually did in graduate school for a year. I didn't know how in the world I'd be able to sleep, but after a week I didn't hear the subway. When when there is a Intense stimulus presented repeatedly to your brain, repeatedly to your nervous system. Your nervous system compensates by responding less intensely to that stimulus. This can reach the point if you are eating chocolate all the time or, you know, or, or um, pasta or some other really highly concentrated food source, this can reach the point where it feels like you need that chocolate just to feel normal. You might experience what we psychologists call anhedonia that the only source of pleasure in your life is that chocolate. And when you're not having the chocolate, you feel kind of not just the absence of pleasure, but you feel displeasure. You feel like a physiological correlate of depression. And and this is why people feel like they can't live without the stuff. But the good news is if you do live without the stuff or if you drastically cut down, your body will start to upregulate. And I think there's research that says within like Six to eight weeks, your taste buds double in sensitivity, and your nervous system starts firing those pleasurable pathways again in response to the banana smoothie as opposed to the chocolate bar. And that's why I can confidently tell you that if you will do this over time, and remember that feelings aren't facts, you can't trust your feelings, over time, you will crave that banana smoothie just as much as you crave the chocolate bar, and you will, you'll get almost the same level of pleasure. And you don't, you don't get high. A chocolate bar makes you high. A chocolate bar is a drug. It it makes you high. You're not just doing it for comfort, you're doing it to get high with food. But you can be very, very content. You won't be bothered by the cravings. You'll have you'll have a normal, sustainable amount of pleasure without the intense crash that's associated with running these concentrated sources of um of pleasure through your body. And so what I say to parents is that. It's difficult to convince children if you haven't convinced yourself. And our children are more likely to do 80% of what we do and 20% of what we say. And so I would ask everybody to ask themselves, what, what's the single worst food trigger or food behavior that's getting you in trouble? I'm not going to tell you how to eat there, you know, personally, I don't have chocolate anymore, but there's nothing wrong with having chocolate once in a while for people who can manage it. I have very strong beliefs about what the right diet is for the human species, but I'm not a nutritionist or dietitian, so I'm not going to tell you how to do that. But you know, everybody knows what a healthier day of eating for them is versus an unhealthier day. And if there were one thing that you changed, what would it be? That could be a behavior. It doesn't have to be a food. It could be. I'll never eat while I'm standing up again, or I'll never eat in the car, or I'll never buy food at a drive-through window, or I'll never go back for seconds. You don't have to necessarily restrict any particular food that you eat. A lot of people respond negatively to rules or restriction, and and you do have to be careful, by the way, if you are underweight or have been diagnosed with um, anorexia, you have to be you have to be careful about over restricting with these type of this type of approach, but. One rule will empower you to listen very carefully for that voice of rationalization inside of you. And then you write down those voices as you hear them. So if I say I will never eat while standing up again, and then there's a little voice that says, well, I really have to prepare my kids' foods and there's not enough time for me to eat. You have to back up and say, okay, where is the lie in that? How is this voice lying to me? Is it really impossible for me to prepare my kids' foods without eating? Um, Is there really no time for me to eat? Could I plan out the day a little better? And you need to dispute those justifications. If you find yourself boxed into a corner, you can change the rule and loosen it up a little bit. But that's that's what I recommend, is that people really start to experiment with one rule for themselves, prove to themselves that they can reclaim their power and hope and enthusiasm as far as food is concerned, and then – you know, and then as they are doing that, their children will see them gravitating more towards whole, fresh, ripe, raw, natural foods, um, or, or you know, whole animal foods if that's your your penchant. And then perhaps the children will get curious. You can look up some delicious recipes that use more natural foods as opposed to industrial foods. Believe me, there there are ways to do this. It unfortunately requires a little bit of thinking work and a little bit of attentive work in the beginning. It's not that different from learning how to drive. When you first learn how to drive, you have to spend a couple of months studying the rules of the road. You have to practice the rules of the road. You're a little bit nervous as you're going through. You make some mistakes as you're starting out. But after a couple of months, driving is second nature. You're not going to have to spend a lifetime being hyper-vigilant about this stuff. You define for yourself yourself what kind of person you want to be around a particular food. So I'm not the type of person who eats chocolate during the week. I'm just not. And what you'll find is that character trumps willpower. When you make these rules and you commit to it, then you don't have to make decisions all week long. And it turns out that decisions are the thing that wears down willpower. Not just decisions about food, by the way. People have trouble trouble resisting marshmallows if we make them do math problems first. It's any decisions at all, decisions about your email, decisions about where your kid is going to go to school or play soccer or what they're going to wear today. So you want to try to start batching your decisions and eliminating them where possible so that you just become the kind of person that eats in X, Y, or Z way as opposed to to saying, well, I'll avoid chocolate 90% of the time. Well, that's good in theory, but every time you're in front of a chocolate bar, you have to make another decision. Is this part of the 90% or this part of the 10%? ten percent? Right. So, a yeah. So, I'm talking a lot. I'll pause for a second. I'll let you take this where you want to. Uh,
0: no, this is, this is great. I mean, it's, it, you're just a wealth of information and such a valuable tool for parents. And I think that it's true. I and mean, I have two kids. Kids don't do what I say. My kids don't do what I say. They do what I do. So, they see me... Eating veggies, we have lots of veggie roast veggies all the time, you know. i a send oh Pax is like, oh, Pax is my boy. He's like, oh, I will try that. And my little girl Olivia, she's only one, but we started her off, you know, chewing on green beans and trying to set her off on the on the right foot. But you you mentioned earlier about you you you're talking about making a rule, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be about food. You even said uh, I'm not going to eat while well standing up, or I'm not going to eat while well driving, and. How much of that is just taking your awareness from this, that, or the other thing, or all the things that happen in life, to being present in the moment of what you're actually putting in your body and being cognizant, oh this this is and I, and I'm chewing this and this is gonna this is what it's gonna do for my body. You know, is is that, you know, a big
2: factor in, in helping change or reprogramming your, your thoughts? Well, Presence of mind while you're eating is very important. There's a lot of research on mindful eating, and it's crucial. And, and But what you will find is that presence is more the result of figuring out what's drawing you away from being present. Most people, as they're eating these industrial foods, they feel guilty because they know there's something bad for them about about what they're doing, and that guilt prevents them from being present. And the, um, you know, the mindfulness that people are talking about that that takes place more in the upper part of the brain, where we reside, where the human part of us resides. And when the lizard brain is so overstimulated, it's hard to be present. And so by searching out the types of foods and behaviors that are preventing you from tasting your food and letting it nourish you and creating very clear rules for how do you want to behave around those foods, you eliminate the guilt, you largely eliminate the excess of those, you know, foods that were harming you, and you'll find that your presence is enhanced and then that enhanced presence is like a positive snowball that makes you want to keep going it's part of the part of the carrot that you're you're chasing once you really get it you just don't want the bad stuff anymore because you don't want to give up that sense of mindful presence the reason that i don't think mindfulness alone solves the eating problem is that there's just so much money and such smart rocket scientists figuring out how to engineer a short-circuiting of your brain with these foods. I think that eating mindfully on the savannah, eating mindfully in the tropics when we we're evolving would have been a natural event and it would have been exactly what we wanted to do and you could, you could trust your intuition. But in a society which allows the production of flavored cardboard in our food supply and I'm not lying. There actually is flavored cardboard in some food products. I think at some point, you have to stand up and create some rules and some lines in the sand and not just rely on your intuition because these rocket scientists are working really hard to hijack your intuition. Um, but, wow. so, but Yeah. Scary. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Flavored cardboard just
0: sounds horrible. sounds horrible. It, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, awful. it's awful. Well, what would you, what would you say? You know, somebody, one of our listeners, is is, is on a, a journey and is overweight, has eating problems. What would you say to them as encouragement? You know, as far as they're they they're they're starting to follow some of the practices we just talked about, and there's that little voice, you know, and we, they they give in to one of their you know impulses. What would, what would you say to to that person who? You know, they've been doing well, but they, they make a
2: mistake. Well, it's very important to understand the appropriate role of guilt and shame in the whole process. See, if you accidentally touch a hot stove, you don't want to say, oh, my God, I'm pathetic. I'm a compulsive hot stove toucher. I might as well just put my whole hand on the stove. Let's get it over with that's that's not you don't want to do that right yeah, right totally or or if you chip a tooth by accident you don't say i think i should go get a hammer and bang the rest of them out you 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 just get to the dentist it turns out that a perseveration on guilt and shame the excess guilt and shame is binge motivated in and of itself what happens is that the pig grabs hold of you that that the lizard brain generates the self-castigation because it's trying to make you feel like you're too weak in character to resist the next binge. This is why it's very, very difficult to continue overeating if you refuse to yell at yourself. It's very, very important that you learn to forgive yourself. At the same time, you want to respect the little bit of pain that you feel when you touch the hot stove. You don't want to live in a world where you feel no guilt or shame for breaking your biggest commitments. Just like you don't want to feel no pain, because there are disorders and diseases which prevent children from feeling pain, and we haven't kept one of those children alive for more than four or five years, because they, they just keep getting hurt. They've got nothing to stop them from, you know, from hurting themselves, because they don't have the experience. So psychologically, the experience of a little bit of guilt or shame is an attention-getting mechanism. And you don't want to excise that mechanism from you. So you don't have to be frightened of feeling a little guilt and shame. You just need to use it to draw your attention to what you did wrong, go back and figure out what was the squeal, what was that irrational voice that convinced you it was okay to do this. And it's always there, even if you think it's not. So you have to kind of reconstruct the whole bench and figure out, even if that voice just said, screw it, we'll start tomorrow. That voice was there, and you need to articulate that and then disempower it. Um, you, 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 you need to move on. You need yeah. to move on. And it's, it's helpful to a lot of people to – just one more thing. It, it's helpful to a lot of people to think about how they would treat their child. You know, if you had a little five-year-old child that was trying to ride their bike up a hill all the way to the top, um, if they didn't make it to the top, you wouldn't yell and scream at them. You wouldn't say, oh, my God, little Sarah, you're pathetic. I don't even want to talk to you the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> you, you, you just say, okay, what? Well, you know, let's get a running start. Let's get a running start. Let's eat a little something better before we go. And let's get up the hill next time. And our nervous system is set up in such a way that if you keep getting up and aiming at the target, you'll get better. The reason that people don't get better where they're eating is they get so thrown off and there's so much misinformation in society that says that we've got a disease or that there's something wrong with them and that this can happen for other people, but they're not like that. All of this stuff that makes them feel powerless and hopeless. And uh, it's, it's just a perfect storm to feed the industrial profit. And that's why I like to help overeaters who feel excessive shame I like to turn some of that shame into anger at what's going on in in the world and you know how the world is one big hairy setup for everybody to overeat these days anyway yeah. that, that that's what I do when people make a mistake
0: yeah well it's, it feels like the uh, odds are heavily stacked against the individual for for making good uh, food choices <laughs> but what what would you you were, you were telling us a little bit about, you know, all these different chemicals and how rocket, science, rocket scientists are engineering food and how, in your experience, you know, you mentioned earlier, like it takes like four or six weeks to start to reprogram your taste buds, but what was it for you as far as, you know, creating your own meal plan, your food plan, and really starting to experience those changes in your body and not craving certain things? Was there... Was there a point when you started to go downhill you know
2: and it was a little bit easier and a little bit easier? yeah I, at, at one point, I came to the conclusion that I just couldn 't have sugar or flour, and when I, when I got sugar and flour entirely out of my diet, it, life was just much easier they, they, those things create cravings for themselves and I you know i 'm very i 'm very very tolerant for people who want to keep them in their diet, and there are people who can really eat them. Um, but ultimately for me, I started to say I didn't want to deal with the consequences. I, the eighteen minutes of pleasure that I got, which is what you get from sugar and flour your your blood sugar rises for about eighteen minutes and then it crashes for hours uh, unless you keep eating more of it. and that's why people feel like they have to eat more of it. Once somebody told me that if if I would do an experiment and give up sugar and flour, all sorts of, all types of sugar and flour for 100 hours that I would stabilize my blood chemistry like I'd never done before and my cravings would drop dramatically. And when I did that, it was true. I really, um, life was just so much easier. And then I went for another 100 hours and then after a while I stopped counting and it just seemed like, you know, that was a big part of the trick. The other part of the trick was when I, for me personally, I lowered my fat intake and I started eating a lot more fruit. My my understanding you know, again, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but my understanding is is that fat actually works as an insulator in the blood, and that there's nothing wrong with the sugar in fruit per se. They actually use the guar and pectin in fruit to treat diabetes. It's the problem is when the sugar is refined, and so the refined carbohydrates are killing us. The you know the white flour and the white the white sugar and a lot of the other places that that it's refined like that, but actual whole fruit, it's it's hard to overeat on that if you're not eating a lot of fat. And when when I switched my diet accordingly, a lot of the cravings went away. So between those two things, just physiologically, I was a lot more comfortable. And um, and then when I combined it with never binge again, it it didn't seem like I was white knuckling it anymore. It didn't seem like a diet. It just seemed like Okay, this is how I eat now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, this is this has been great, and you're such a great example. And I feel like we blasted through so much valuable information. You know, for our listeners who uh, want to learn more, uh, "Never Bend Again" is the book, and you should definitely pick it up. Uh, I feel a little on guard all of a sudden about uh, going to the supermarket and you know, looking at stuff. And it's, it's kind of like a war <laughs> against, against big corporations. And it's hard to fight the big money. I mean, it's, it really is.
2: Yeah. Try, try, try to spend 80% of your time in the supermarket in the produce section. Hey, can I tell people how to get the book for free? Absolutely. If you go to NeverBingeAgain.com and you click on the big red reader bonus button, I will get you a copy of the book in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format for free. I'll also get you a set of recorded coaching sessions. I know this sounds a little weird in theory, but if you hear it done in practice, it's a very compassionate, life-giving, enthusiasm-producing process, and I'd like you to be able to, to hear that. And I have a whole set of food plan starter templates set up for any dietary philosophy. So even though you could tell I'm like a whole foods plant-based person, I created starter templates for people that might be low carb or paleo or ketogenic or uh, point counters or macrobiotic or a- any of the above. Any- anything you're doing, there's probably a starter template for you. And you just, you take them and you modify them to the best of your ability so that it fits what you really believe constitutes healthy eating for for you personally, it's all on all NeverBingeAgain.com. Click the big red button.
0: Yeah, and for everyone, I'm going to put that in, in our show notes. So if you didn't write that down, just go ahead and scroll down when you're looking at the podcast, and you can click through uh, the link there and uh, get hooked up with everything. Uh, Glenn, this has been a very enlightening interview. Any uh, last words for our uh, guest before we let you go?
2: It's a lot simpler than it's made out to be. It, you you don't have to one of the biggest discoveries that I made was that you don't you don't have to figure out why you binge as a matter of fact if you ask why can't I stop eating you're programming your mind to look for evidence of why you can't stop eating and you'll reinforce the fact that you can't stop eating what you want to ask is how can I stop how can I stop eating and that's the that's the mission that I have in the world that's what all my materials are set up for so um, that's what never binge again is about well, Glenn, it's been
0: great having you on the show. Never Binge Again is the book. And parents, you're the first line of defense for your children when you go to the supermarket. And like Glenn was saying, spend most of your time uh, in the produce section. That's, that's where I spend most of my time. So Glenn, and if we want to stay up to date on everything you're doing, uh, how do we stay connected with you?
2: NeverBingeAgain.com. At the very bottom of the site, there are links to our Instagram and Facebook group. There's also a readers forum at NeverBingeAgainForum.com. That's on Facebook, too.
0: There you have it. Stay tuned. Glenn, thank you so much for being part of the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. Thank you for having me, and this was great. Absolutely. And again, we'll have the uh the link to the book in the show notes so anyone who wants to click through and get some more information it'll be below so we're just going to get a a quick word from our sponsors and we're going to have the health tip of the day
1: ian wow great interview so so oh my god there's so much to talk about here. i know i know he he's really i mean there's kind of really not i guess he said uh a a lot of what needs to be said and kind of pulls back the curtain Uh, on things that we need to know as consumers. And look, it's not surprising at all. And I think as ninjas, we all try and lead this really healthy lifestyle, even not knowing all this somewhat nefarious, uh, maybe even malevolent, I would say, ongoings. I mean, look, these industries are designed to take your money. It's profit, right? It's all profit driven. And there are Islands of hope out there. There are you know, great food companies that have organic and whole foods and natural foods, no added sugar and blah, blah, blah. But by and by, a lot of these corporations are just downright trying to dupe the public into buying these gnarly, gnarly foods that make you want to binge, that light up these centers in your brain. Uh,
0: crazy stuff. When he was telling us about the the uh, the VP of, uh, we won't say what industry, but how they literally take the nutrition out of the food to save money and so that they could put in these chemicals to light up your brain. I mean, that's
1: just, that just freaks me out. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, like, what are we doing? Like, how can you live with yourself if you are, if you're that person? You, yeah, you're making billions of dollars a year, but you have put money before people. You know, like, it's, it's so disgusting. It, it it really, it really, really frustrates me as a physician because I know that if we changed our nutritional habits in this country, I mean, so many of our health problems would go away. Heart disease, diabetes, cancer. Yeah, okay, they'd be there like a little bit. Right. But they would be like 1%, not 30%. Well, and it's just a testament to what people want. These
0: companies are making what people want, so... I want to challenge anyone who's listening to really be paying attention to what's in the products that you're consuming. When you go to the store, what are you putting into your cart? And Noah, you talked about this earlier in, I think, a different episode, but go to the store when you're not starving and so that you can make a better decision about the food that's going into your fridge so that when your kids open up the fridge, you know they're going to be eating this healthier food. And as the week can change people's habits and purchasing power and their their choices in the store big corporations and big big money they're going to change what what they're doing because they're going to want us to spend money with them still right it's like it, we can we can make an impact we can make a change but it starts with the individuals who are listening to this podcast but then
1: everyone in the United States and in the world Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's ironic. We actually talked about that, Ian, on his podcast when we were interviewed. And, and you're right. I mean, there, there's a great – we had a great discussion about it there. But just to kind of repeat, if you are full when you go to the store, you're not going to be as hungry. Like when you're hungry and you're on a modern diet, the modern diet of soda pop and fast food and all that stuff, you are literally withdrawing from a drug, from yeah. potent drugs. One of those drugs is sugar, which lights up the same receptors in the brain as cocaine. We see that on PET scanning and MRI, functional MRI imaging. We see that sugar lights up the same part of the brain as cocaine. Doesn't that freak you out? Uh, Doesn't that freak you out, Uh, you know, listeners? Doesn't that freak you out? That's amazing. So now if you go to the store and you're hungry, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy those same things that light up those receptors. You're going to buy the... You know, the ice cream, and you're going to buy the soda pop, and you're going to buy the sugary foods and the candy and this, that, and the other thing. And we we put sugar in everything nowadays. We put yeah. it in ketchup.
0: You're not you going to give your kids cocaine,
1: right? <laughs> That's- Dude, I'm yeah. telling you, it's 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 crazy. But, you know, and but we all do that. You know, it's not like we're perfect either. No, but, of course not. But, but here's the thing. If you go to the store and you're full, you're going to be able to be like, you know, I'm not that hungry. I'm going to make a, some good intellectual decisions. I'm going to be really present. Think about what I'm buying. I'm going to buy fruits and vegetables. I'm going to buy healthy stuff that doesn't have added sugar. And then I'm going to eat it with my family. And guess what? You're going to go home and you're going to open up the cupboard and you're going to be like, what was I thinking? (laughs) There's nothing to eat. You're going to open up the fridge and you're going to be like, I'm not going to the store. I guess I'm going to eat some celery and some hummus, you know, And, and guess what? It's going to be pretty good.
0: and after Celery and hummus is actually really good. It's
1: really good. I know. I I eat it every day practically. But, you know, that's the thing is you want to make healthy decisions now. Dr. Livingston, we thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's really exciting to be on his podcast. So we will have links to uh, us being on his podcast. Obviously, check out the show notes, uh, wolfpackninjas.com, where you can make your own ninja profile as well. Uh, and then, of course, follow us on the socials at Wolfpack Ninjas. Ian, there's so much exciting stuff going on. This was just a great episode.
0: Yeah, no, and if you have something to, to tell us, you know, about your nutrition and your purchasing habits for your family, I mean, join the conversation. Join us online. Make a free po- profile on our website and uh, tell us what you think.
1: Yeah, we have a forum and oh, there's all kinds of training advice on the forum. There's uh, nutrition advice. And then, of course, there's a ton of ninja gossip. It's incredible. There's ninja gossip about about Isaac Caldero about upcoming events, about Ninja Warrior, about you know who did this and did. It's pretty. It's pretty juicy stuff. I, I think the forum has kind of exploded. It's fun. It is fun. It's join us, guys. Thanks so much for joining us, Doctor Livingston. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Go follow him. Never binge again. Get the book. Listen to his podcast. Be a part of, you know, improving society and helping us change what big food is all about, which is just profit-driven delivery of non-nutritious food. It's unbelievable.
0: And uh, Dr. Glenn Livingston, thank you so much. He's actually given us a link to get his book for free wow. as part of joining us for the podcast, and you can get that in the link below.
1: Yeah, check out the show notes. For the rest of the Wolfpack, I'm Noah Kaufman, the Ninja Doc. I'm Ian Dory. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Ow!
0: Thanks so much for joining the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. If you liked it, please tell a friend. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It would mean a lot. Remember to visit our website at www.wolfpackninjas.com
1: and join us on social media. Join us next time for another exciting episode with your favorite ninjas and informative health tips. Uh-oh. Across the social medias at Wolfpack Ninjas.